Hello, everyone, and welcome to an all-new Deep Cuts Live. I'm your host, Antoine Reed, and if this is your first time watching, just make sure you hit that like or subscribe button uh, to be notified of any time we have new content. So today, uh, we have with us Alec Cuevas. So Cuevas Cigars has been in the business for a couple of years now, uh, and you've probably seen interviews with his father, Louis Cuevas. In fact, his father was on Deep Cuts uh, when I first started to, to do this. So when I wanted to do the follow-up, I really wanted to get him on here to kind of talk about his experiences being a younger generation kind of coming into the business. So I'm looking forward to today's chat and let's bring him on. Alec, how are you? I'm doing great, Antoine. Thank you so much for having me on the show, brother. Yeah, like I was saying, uh, your father was one of the brave people who kind of came on the first <laughs> the first iteration of this, which was like Instagram Live when we were all under lockdown and I had no idea what you know I was doing and, and stuff. So uh, thank you for for uh, trusting to come back, you know, after hearing. Hopefully it went well for him. But I was like, I think of that era. I was like, how did we do that? Because it was just it was a really strange, you know, we didn't know what was going on in the world and. We were trying to do things and technology like this was kind of just slowly coming onto the scene. And <laughs> I was trying to do Instagram lives and Facebook lives and Zooms and stuff like that. So it was a completely crazy time. But um, thank you for coming on today. Of course, for what it's worth, my father did say this was this already caught wonderful reactions from my father the first time around. Um, and albeit, I always get a little bit nervous when it comes to doing these sort of podcasts to which my father says, oh, with Antoine, oh, I had a blast. You're going to have a blast just the same. So I, I'm genuinely excited. Thank you so much once again. Yeah, well, thank you. Like I said, thank you for coming on. I, I think of Casa Cuevas has like a different place for me because I, when I first started doing the writing and the content creation, you know, I remember it was like one of the first kind of trade shows. And I remember running into your father and your mother and uh, uh, at the time, and it was before the company had really launched. And it was like, you know, we're going to start this company. You, you hear that a lot. And sometimes you just kind of have to take it, you know, yeah. like this kind of nod and say, OK. And then you actually did it. And then like you saw like the, the progression of it, like coming, you know, even though you were new on the scene, like just like, everything kind of you obviously had everything planned out in the right way. It was like, yeah, the, like the actual success story, which is like really hard to have in the cigar industry because you can see so many brands, like I said, come in and they something goes wrong or they just don't realize what the grind is is really going to be like and they burn out within like a year or two. So oh, most definitely uh, working from the factory side of things, we've had a plethora of individuals kind of come by and at the very least have the same envisionment in which they want their own line. Uh, they want to create their own blend, so to speak. And uh, it's unfortunate, but a lot of them don't tend to make it all the way through the process. A lot of people, I think, tend to not come to terms or better said, don't really understand that on this side of the business, there is so much work that goes into yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> it's tremendous work. It definitely is. You know, I was uh, I was listening to a podcast uh, last week and it was about songwriting and it was Stuart Price. And Madonna talking about how they created uh, Hung Up. Okay. And just hearing that process reminded me a lot of the cigar industry because you hear a lot of overlap with like music and cigars. I mean, there's so many people who are like musically inclined to in this industry. Uh, it's crazy. But, you know, just hearing, it's just, you know, she's, Stuart Price was telling like all the different layers. Like it started off, I was like coming out of the club 
and it was like 5 a.m. in the morning and I was riding in my car and I heard this ABBA song, Gimme, Gimme, Gimme. And then I said, that would make a cool sample. And I started making the sample and the, and you know, just like all these layers and they're talking about the voices, like, you know, layering the voices and you never really think about that. And I was thinking that's a lot like, you know, that I think c c coming at the cigar industry in that, you know, angle it, to me is interesting because we, we always look at the final product and we never really think about like what it took to get that final product. Yes. Like I'm sure there's a lot of trial and error. So we're going to talk about the cigar that you blended, um, you know, maybe from that perspective of what it was that process really like? Because I think a lot of people kind of miss the process. And they, like I said, they see that the end cigar and they might read a rating or a review of it. And it's just like, you know, I'm sure, I don't know if it frustrates you, but I know from being a creative person, sometimes like you can spend weeks, months, years working on something and it might take somebody like five seconds to consume it or to like make a judgment on it. And they're just like, oh, it's okay. And you're like, no, it's not. <laughs> like, yeah. that, a lot it's, better. You know what? I agree with you to that extent. It's one of those things where I, I do appreciate the individuals like take the time out of the day, first and foremost, to review, especially anything within our products. Um, but now, especially with the newest launch of Sangre Nueva, uh, actually getting my hands dirty with the actual blend process, how long it took. I mean, the process took us close to about half a year, maybe eight months um, before I genuinely was happy with what we had. To have somebody sit there and maybe smoke five minutes of it just to put it down and say it's not my cup of tea it does genuinely hurt it's one of those things that you don't really get used to um but then again the honest criticism is something that i also very much um take into account i think it's important especially being on this end of things um customer service for us is top priority truth be told we are a relatively small brand and we want to make sure everybody for the most part is content so that is all the stories that essentially lined up with sangre nueva um the concept behind this guy was essentially this was to pay homage to my family. So it's a legacy sort of cigar. And I wanted to use a lot more modern tobacco, for lack of a better term. But I did want to keep it within its traditional roots. I mean, a Spanish title, it still does carry some stuff that we've brought in from, uh, from years back, actually, as a matter of fact, within the factory that we've never really used within our own lines. Uh, this includes also new vitolas and things of that nature. And all in all, Although I'm very proud of this project, it's well beyond me. It's well beyond just my palate. It's something that, yes, fits my palate greatly, something I'm very proud of, but it's more so to kind of give back to all those individuals throughout all these years that have genuinely helped me become more educated with this industry and the, the culture as a whole. Exactly. Um, you know, thinking about this project in, in general, I remember coming to PCA this year and you're walking around the trade show floor, you know, the first day people are trying to get, you know, their sea legs and figure out what's going on and who they need to hit up. And I remember it was maybe by the, was it the second day or so? I remember being all the way, I, your booth was on like one end of the, of the show floor and I was all the way on the opposite end speaking to a retailer. Um, and he was like, have you tried, have you been to Casa Cuevas? And I was like, yeah, I was like, I'll stop by there. I haven't like, being able to stop. I was like, because you all were so busy. You know, it's like one of those things where I was like, I was like, I have to, you know, I'm going to try to, you know, I have another day or half or I'm going to try to stop by. And he was like, you got to go to Casa Cuevas because, you know, Alec, he's done the cigar. And it's just like, he was going on like, like this is obviously a sample he smoked, but you would think like it was like his favorite, like standard. He was telling me about, you know, the different tobaccos in it and like how 
you know, the branding was cool and the box art was cool and like, you know, this whole thing. And he felt like it was like, like the, one of the standout releases from the show. And I was just like, wow. I was like, well, definitely I'm going to stop by and like, you know, try to stop by just to get a video of, of this cigar. But, you know, I think it, it was one of the like most buzzworthy releases. And I think what really excited was that, you know, here you are as being, you know, a next generation. And we saw so many next generation people at this particular show. It was just like, you know, that was a lot of, of stuff going on. So, so to see what you all were working on compared to what you're, you're kind of used to or accustomed to seeing was, to me, was kind of the fun part of, of this particular trade show and, and the releases that came out. So that's like a long-winded uh, congratulations to just making a big, <laughs> a big splash. Uh, you know, at this at this year's show. Well, thank you. Um, you're right. There were a lot of the younger generations, especially on this trade show floor, I've come to notice. And all that in tandem, it's exciting. It really is, Antoine. I, not to say that uh, I'd say the younger generations are kind of spearheading the future going forward, but I will say that input is tremendous. And um, this is definitely something a bit repetitive. You've most likely heard this before. But it's similar to uh, craft breweries, for example. You have a lot of the uh, the older folk that know what they like. They're going to stick with their Heineken or their um, their Belgian fat tire or whatever choice of IPA they choose, things of that nature. Whereas the younger crowd is going to walk in there and choose what they have available. There's a plethora you can go for. And why not try a little bit of everything just to see your cup of tea? There's sour beer. There's passion fruit beer. There's all sorts of crazy stuff out there similar to cigars. I feel as if the younger generations now, from a patron perspective anyway, from a consumer standpoint, is now going into these humidors and albeit they are most likely a little bit intimidated based on the selection, are still choosing some of those cigars that are relatively boutique and new to the market. That's something that I like the fact that a lot of the younger crowd within the industry as a whole are currently stepping into the fray for. It gives a nice opportunity for the, the folks more or less around the early 20s, mid-20 range, uh, hell, even late 20s, the chance to jump into this amazing culture. I mean, and just to meet some of the coolest people I think I've ever met, truth be told, in my life. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking, you know, I keep thinking back to when I came into the industry in 2010 and just how different 2010 cigar industry is from like 2022. And like you said, it's like, you know, people are less brand loyal, which sounds like a bad thing, but it's like if you put a cigar in front of them, like, you know, and it shouldn't matter, but if the band is cool, cool and stuff like that, they'll be like, I'll, I'll give it a try. And, you know, it's like a totally different experience. Whereas, you know, a decade ago, it'll be a little bit harder. Like, you know, they, like you said, they kind of stuck to those iconic brand names that we all know and that we're used to and that your grandfather and, father and all that kind of stuff smoked. And, and it's, you know, it's just, but I think a lot of that's changed. Like people want, want, they ask the question, what's new? Sometimes, yeah. you know, now it's not just what's new from the brand that I always buy from or, you know, what's a, if they're a completely new product and hear from a company I might not have known of. And instead of turning up their nose now, they, they seem to be willing to actually give it a try. Which is tremendous. I, I like the way that at least within the short time frame that I've been within this industry, I've seen that change. I, I, obviously, it's not a drastic change. It's not like this just happened overnight, but to go on ahead and see the consumer standpoint, um, better said, let me step this back. Something that I've absolutely adored about this industry as a whole, even from when I was a young kid, was the educational standpoint. 
was growing up and learning all the ins and outs of what it takes to really make a cigar. It's called Ichuamano for a reason. It passes through thousands and thousands of hands before it hits the shelves and ends up essentially in years. Um, so as a whole, to see, especially after COVID, the influx of individual smoking, of enjoying new products, new brands as a whole, um, getting to know their fellow local uh, retailers, let's say, even then, and more cigar smokers became more and more prominent as it came along to see them wanting to learn more. Why is uh, there a distinction between the Gordo and the Robusta, let's say? Things of that nature. It's tremendous. Uh, personally, I'm a sucker for it. I've always been very much into the intellectual side of things when it comes to cigars. Um, as it gets on, my eyes get sparkly on the matter. <laughs> <laughs> but it's tremendous. It really is, Antoine. I love seeing that change. And hopefully with Sangre Nueva, I'm trying to bring that educational standpoint to the table. One of the, the very first things that I wanted to bring up in relation to the blend as a whole, uh, to which you're familiar with, because I mentioned that at the show, was that I wanted everybody at the very least to take a cold draw off of the Sangre Nueva. First and foremost, because you're going to pick up a certain note in particular that might not be as prevalent once you light the cigar and actually start smoking it, but you also get to see the difference between tobacco as a whole and what it really provides for the cigar. More often than not, if your favorite size is a Lancero, let's say, you're going to be smoking a lot more wrapper than you are anything else. And considering the size gauge, the consistency or rather better said the uh, transition of the cigar is so much more there. You can genuinely taste it. Whereas for a Gordo, um, our Gordo, Casa Cuevas Coraline, Connecticut, for example, we use Colombian filler and it adds this layer of sweetness to the cigar. You taste it a heck of a lot more with our Bordeaux than you would in our Robusto. And that's because you're smoking a lot more filler in that regard. It's less wrapper and more filler and binder to be had. So those little changes and nuances bring a completely different experience to your typical smoker. And it's nice to see a lot of those individuals now starting to get the gist of that. And instead of sticking with one particular size, now jumping all across the board when it comes to Vitolas and blends. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's really interesting about you talking about the cold draw because we don't hear a lot of that on deep cuts, but um, a little step back from that, the education side, because I was having this discussion with someone in the last couple of weeks about how you sell a cigar, <laughs> you know, and we were having this discussion about, you know, there are some people who think it's, it's the, the process, I would say, of, of a sales process. Like you need, you need a nice, you need to, maybe they don't want to talk to somebody when they make, when they buy that cigar or that, that product. And maybe they are looking for an automated process, like, you yeah. know, just go on to a website, almost like Amazon stuff, like Amazon or Walmart.com or whatever. And they go on and they find, you know, they look around, they kind of have an idea of what they want. They just put in an order. It comes to them. They don't have to deal with the company. Um, I was arguing sometimes too. It's like, I was like, well, I think that can work, but for the cigar industry, particularly maybe for other tobacco products, that's completely fine. Like you don't need to really speak to anybody. If you want to buy like a carton of Marlboro, like you kind of know what's going on there. But for a cigar product, it's so different because if you miss out on that story then and you just see like wrapper binder filler, you, you're just like, you know, it, it seems like it's, it's a hard sell because now you're, you're competing on a basis of like, you know, name notoriety or something like that. Like, what's your experience like dealing with that? Because I know that now probably now that you kind of come into the company a lot more, you probably have dealt with a lot more retailers. Well, and have at least sat in on a sales process of, you know, how they purchase. Stuff. So what are they looking for in terms of, 
you know, when they are deciding whether or not to spend their money with you? So uh, interesting to note, right? And it's funny you also bring this up. So similar towards the sales pitch, so to speak, um, from a broker standpoint, and even better said, even just from a brand standpoint, the sales pitch is something that doesn't always work, especially when it comes to retail shop owners and things of that nature. They want to see, uh, yes, the price point, which I guess would be the most businessy aspect of things, whether to see if it falls within their economic price range, especially for the consumers. But even more than that, most of them want to see what sets the company apart from the other individuals that they currently carry. In our case, most of our cigars, as you know, if not all of our cigars really do have a legitimate story behind them. All of them are relatively unique, even so much as down to our newest product, um, which was initially just a gag at that. It was something that a lot of individuals would bring up. And then sure enough, I uh, wanted to bring it into actual creation. And thus, here it is. So what sets us apart for the most part when we're sitting down and doing business with a brand new retailer is the notion of the story. Um, being a brand now for five years, we kind of have a foothold now as a boutique brand, which is tremendous when you compare it back to 2017. But even further than that, as uh, some of the individuals do know, we were manufacturers for a hell of a lot longer, for 40 plus years as of this moment. So that legacy that carries behind forth what we create within our products and just the passion that we carry forth is something that's been going down traditionally. And that really makes a difference when it comes to essentially getting the first order. Um, Another thing is having the cigars really stand on their own. If their consumers genuinely gravitate to them, um, I don't want it to be the only thing they smoke. I'd rather it be something within their humidor that they pick up maybe once a week or so. But I think that helps ease the retailer standpoint, knowing full well that we stand behind the products. And should something really struggle in their location, we are the middleman to a fault. I mean, we own the factories. So whatever the case may be, we're going to go on ahead and take care of them and make the customer whole no matter what. Those little notions really set us apart from, I guess, other brand companies in particular. And that is something that the retailer genuinely looks for, especially these days. Um, back in the day, you could go on ahead and argue that it was based upon, like you said, essentially brand name. Oh, you're with one of the bigger companies. Well, in that case, for sure, it's almost a no brainer to bring you in. But if that's the case, then it goes back to the sales pitch. You're really only selling at that point what the blend is from the wrapper binder and filler to essentially the vitolas whereas if i were to go in ahead and um give you a, the mandaria let's say from a, a boutique standpoint you get to hear the story behind it 2019 the robbery that ended up occurring they stole a bunch of our limited edition cigars and thus we wanted to kind of come back with something and hence created the sledgehammer otherwise known as la mandaria same principle tool used to break into a warehouse stories like that are relatively captivating and i feel as if if anything else the retailer wants to connect the story to the cigar itself because it helps with the consumer as a whole at the end of the day uh, especially with social media being so prevalent now stories are genuinely catching people's attention and they make all the difference in the world when it comes to what you're smoking when you're sitting down and everybody's smoking, let's say, a different cigar. At the end of the day, the experience to be had is the conversation piece you're having with those individuals. Mm -hmm. So storytelling and all that aside, um, that really brings everything full circle, especially for a company like ours, which we're at this point in time, you could even say we're still trying to get, you know, boots off the ground, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, now, I mean, I've been a big advocate for storytelling in the industry. I know it sounds kind of crazy, but I mean, I just think, you know, after a while, when you have a cigar and it's like, you know, wrapper binder filler, how interesting can it get? Like how much like people like me, like I, I see wrapper binder filler, even if I've been in the industry for a while now, it's just like, well, well, 
what does that mean? <laughs> you know, like, what does that yeah. mean? I'm, like, I'm not to the level yet where I'm like, oh my gosh, that wrapper means it's going to taste like this or this it's going to have this experience. And I think there's a lot more people probably like on my level who maybe are not aficionados who have no idea what certain tobaccos kind of give you. And so like the, I latch onto the stories and the personalities more than I do kind of like I said, wrapper binder filler, you know, this, you know, even the process, even knowing a little bit about the process sometimes for me, like how was the cigar made? If it was made by a special process, that kind of is interesting to me because it makes it stand out. And then when I see that cigar, I might say, oh, okay, that's, I could, I know the story behind that. It's not just another cigar with another, you know, band on it. Oh yeah. It, it, it's interesting to note. So working from the, um, the retailer side of things, because I used to work at a local retail shop down here in Miami, Neptunes, for those of you that are familiar, for close to about a year, one of the biggest projects that I had working at that shop was essentially smoking everything that they had on the wall. Mm -hmm. um, and after smoking God knows how many cigars, you kind of come to terms with the notion that chances are you've smoked that sort of tobacco before, whether as a wrapper or a binder. And yeah, there are some subtle differences, but like my father uh, iconically says, tobacco isn't grown on the moon. I mean, chances are most people have smoked a great variety of tobacco. So the story is really at that point what sets it apart. And like I said earlier, and similar to what you said as well, just the conversation piece, um, the experience and the persona behind the individual giving you that cigar makes all the difference. You don't want somebody that's essentially flicks you a cigar and says, go on ahead and try it in relation towards somebody that's genuinely taking time out of their day to tell you why this cigar meant so much to them as a brand. Um, those little distinctions really helped us at the very least go very, very far. Yeah. And that's why I, you know, one of my favorite Casa Cueva cigars is the Patrimonio, which actually has a good story behind it. You know, I put, you know, I post a lot about that one when I smoked it on, uh, on Instagram and such, but you know, like I said, a good story to me is just like it makes the product a little bit better because I'm just, like I said, if, if you don't have the story and it's just the basic, you know, what's in it, like that's nice to know because I definitely get worried when, you know, somebody says it's an undisclosed brand, like we can't, I'm like, why? Like th then I go into a completely other, you know, my mind is like, why is this like, exactly here, you know? So it's a balance. So I think like, like having that story just helps, you know, and I know people maybe that like every company, every product might not have a story, unfortunately, but yeah. I think they need something just to kind of, like I said, help set, stand apart. Of course, of course. You know, I was speaking to um, Lito Gomez Jr. earlier this month. So it's funny that you, you're ending the month and he started the month. So it's like the next generation kind of bookends. Um, you know, and I asked him, you know, what do people in your age group, like, how do they think about cigars now? So I'll ask you that same question because I know I'm late 30s now. And, you know, I remember coming into the industry and you thought cigars were for the affluent people, you know, that were on the yachts with the Rolex watches, <laughs> really old people, you know, rich old people, slick back hair stuff, you know, this, that's the kind of thing you kind of thought because that was the only kind of thing. And then you get into the industry and it's like, you know, you go into a cigar store anywhere or a cigar event. You're like, wow, this is like not at all like what you know, you see advertised or in like some of the social media stuff or back in the day in print magazines. So what do people in your age group kind of, what do they think about cigars today? 
so I've it's kind of a um, a double edged sword, for lack of a better term. I know that there are uh, because considering all of the different smokable products, for lack of a better term, that there is out there, it's very difficult for somebody more or less my age that isn't already within this industry or doesn't have, let's say, uh, a parental figure that smokes cigars, let's say, to begin. And the biggest fear factor for a lot of these individuals, at least from what I know on my side of things, is the notion that it's the intimidation factor. You don't want to uh, be perceived as the fool that doesn't know what they're doing when it comes to cutting and lighting a cigar, which is where the educational standpoint comes in. Right. If the retailer is a relatively nice individual and they're willing to take a little bit of time out of their day to educate that brand new smoker who's in their early 20s or mid 20s or whatever, then that individual will be coming a lot more around the fray. Um, for example, last week I was at a relatively massive get together. It happens every third week of the month here in Miami at a bunch of different local cigar shops. And it's full of accountants, it's full of lawyers, it's full of individuals that tend to work at relatively large corporations, but they're all young kids. They're all more or less around the 24 to about 28 range, some of them dipping into the early 30s, so to speak. But even then, they're all smoking cigars and they're all about trying new stuff. So it's interesting to note that if everybody more or less my age gets past that intimidation factor, they find a knack and a love for cigars. A lot more of the individuals are coming now more into the fray than ever before, in my opinion. Um, and it's very cool to see, to be at, a, at an event, let's say somewhere out in the Midwest, and see some young faces walking through the uh, the uh, humidor door, and you're just standing there, you're like, holy crap, there's other people my age here. <laughs> and mm -hmm. it becomes easy to have a conversation with them. I, I feel as if it also helps being there, or at the very least doing your rounds, um, especially being the young face that I am, and essentially kind of guiding them in the right direction as to what they'd like to smoke, and instead of trying to pitch the, uh, the higher sale on them. Something that a lot of people also do appreciate is just the standpoint of being relatively honest when it comes to your product. I don't like to steer kids my age more or less the wrong way with it. And I think it's made a huge difference because as a whole, at least down here in Miami, there's a lot more smokers from the 20 to the 30 range coming into the fray of things um, more than ever before, I'd say. And it's getting to a point now where I'm doing a lot of these podcasts and I'm talking a lot more of this. Um, I was recently on the Dreamers podcast, for example, and also a young pair of individuals recently started off, but their whole ticket is essentially getting more of the younger crowd into cigars. It's a beautiful industry. Um, it's one of the coolest ones by far, in my opinion, that I've at the, at the very least had the pleasure of experiencing. And I feel as if there's plenty of it to go around for everybody, from consumer to brand owner alike. So the more and more individuals getting to know about this from a young age and finally jumping into it, maybe they're playing more golf and they're picking up a couple cigars. Um, maybe they're in a fraternity and they need to get cigars for a celebration. Something of that nature turns to be something that initially is subjective based upon a celebratory factor to something that becomes an ongoing hobby that they genuinely adore. So all in all, I'd say it's increasing. I really would. When you said that there's like an intimidation factor, like what are some of the, the questions that you find the younger cigar smokers kind of having that, but they're kind of afraid to ask? First and foremost, and I actually have been hearing this one a lot more frequently as of late, is it such a bad thing to smoke a flavored cigar? So there's this stigma um, that so to speak, if you were to smoke flavoreds, then you're not a legitimate cigar smoker. And I'd like to defer. I think, I, I think if anything else, the flavored cigars, truth be told, is a nice little segue into what could be a nice mild Connecticut. 
because you have the lighter nuances of what to smoke and what you're supposed to smoke. It teaches you smoker's etiquette in relation to the cigar. The only difference is it doesn't carry anything other than the natural flavors. So when you make that transition, if you so long as prepare yourself for that, you'll be okay going forward. So a lot of individuals have been coming into the fray now, at least more or less my age, and have been asking me, is it really such a bad thing to start off with flavored cigars? Um, I don't know how I'll stand with a regular all-natural premium cigar, and truth be told, I don't want to have a really bad experience the first time around. So is it okay to pick up a Cuba Cuba from Acid or a Blondie, let's say, or even something from the Deadwood series? Another one that's just as prominent is where do I even begin? Because I know a lot of individuals now are very reluctant to go on ahead and pick up something within a darker leaves. Um, our newest launch right now carries Ecuadorian Cameroon for the wrapper. And that's something that for most individuals, based off that stigma, once again, Hearing the darker wrapper means that it must be much more full flavored. It must be more full bodied. It's going to be a chest kicker, rompe pecho in Spanish, as they say it. And that's not always the case. I always go back to our core line Maduro, for example, which obviously carries very dark colorations, but it's a Mexican San Andres wrapper, and that adds a bit of semi-sweetness to the blend. Very creamy, clean break on your palate, and it doesn't overwhelm you in the slightest. So another big question is quite literally, where do I begin? You're walking into a humidor and it's just jam-packed with so many different cigars. Um, Perdomo alone has 30 plus facings as a whole. So just imagine incorporating the rest of the brands that you've yet to hear about. Mm -hmm. So really, where do you begin? And that's where a lot of the younger folks start looking at things like, oh my Lord, I really don't have a, a guidebook to kind of guide me in the right direction. And that's where the connection is established between retailer and between brand owner. Um, that's where I step into the fray being as young as I am. Currently going down the line, I am the uh, the director of brand development. So for future projects down the line, I will be a lot more hands-on when it comes to the blending process. But I want to kind of guide the younger folk into cigars that are more full in flavor rather than full in strength. Um, that's something else that I've come to notice as well. Between being young smokers, they don't necessarily know the strength output on a cigar, especially if they've never picked one up before. So that's another genuine question that they bring up. Um, I can go on and on about this. There's a, a multitude of questions that a lot of the younger folk have, and it's just a matter of education to get them right through the fray and into this amazing culture. Well, it's like what I've always found is if, if you can be the person that teaches these people or, or that confronts these kind of questions and teaches these people, then you become trustworthy. Yes. And if you become trustworthy, then why you can, you know, suggest some products from your own portfolio that might, you know, help solve some of their their problems or uh, be the solution to some of their, their stuff to get them uh, over that hurdle. So I think it's, it's something like, I feel like there's some companies that do a really good job at the education. And then there's others that kind of focus just more, you know, on the other side, which is kind of experiences, which are equally as important, but it's like this, a completely different thing because education sometimes can feel, you know, like as you've been in the industry for a while, like, am I really going to tell people like how to cut a cigar? Like you think it's silly, but it's just, like, there's people out there who don't know. Yeah. And there's people out there who think they know and they don't know. <laughs> like that's just it. It's, it's so much or like how to light a cigar, like uh, how you don't have to put the lighter, like right up against the cigar, you know, you can hold it far away and, and have a better burn. But it's something that, that you know, we just don't talk about because we just think that, you know, everybody is a, an, an expert. Mm -hmm. And I feel as if that is, um, that that's the biggest misconception about this industry. And, and not every smoker, so to speak, is an experienced smoker. 
I mean, and that's something that you'll come to notice, especially with this new generation coming in, having the plethora of cigars that they have to choose from. There's a lot of individuals that I've seen just recently, going back to last week, I saw somebody light a cigar with cellophane still on it. Oh, no. (laughs) The smell was absolutely atrocious. And before everybody started immediately, uh, I guess, laughing at the factor, uh, immediately they took to it being like, hey, just pull it off right away. We'll take care of the wrapper. This is how you properly do it. The education came first and foremost. And that's another cool thing about this industry, that little conversion between thinking, oh, you don't know what you're doing to let me help you out. Mm-hmm. It really helps the younger folk become a lot more comfortable coming into the fray of things. It's phenomenal. And, you know, you talked about social media and how social media can play a role in, in you know, communicating stuff about your brand, but also the education stuff. Uh, I know you probably spend, you know, probably as much time as I do on social media these days. So you've seen <laughs> an Instagram that everybody's freaking out about, you know, I think a couple months ago, I guess when the algorithm changed a little bit to kind of uh, be a bigger push towards video content. Yes. Everybody's numbers were just plummeting and everybody was like, we're being shadow banned. And I was like, I don't know. And I was like, I don't, I can't tell if we're being shadow banned or not. But then it's like, if you start doing like more video content, it seems like you kind of can pick back up, but it's like, you're almost starting over. But yeah. now, I don't know if you've had that experience, but I've been playing around with it a lot more lately. And it's like, Oh, like if you present this as a video, it, it, you know, more people actually see it than if it was just like a plain photo. So you know, as you're developing products, I'm not sure if this is part of, you know, your duties, but how are you kind of seeing social media kind of play into building up your brand and the company? I think um, I come from a background where uh, marketing was my degree. So I still do believe that the biggest marketing tool would be word of mouth, Mm -hmm. but social media is essentially the next best thing. And that in tandem, you're right. The algorithm uh, fluctuation that happened a couple months back kind of threw everything on the loop. I remember looking at the numbers initially with our uh, Casaguelas page and wondering what the heck was going on. Right. Yeah, it was, it was a little nerve wracking. It really was. Because um, at the end of the day, you really want your product to carry, uh, to carry its own exposure. Mm-hmm. And uh, first and foremost, the exposure is great. Having them try it is another thing, mind you. But even then, from the marketing perspective, that's something that I don't handle full and foremost. That's something that we have Creativas Group, currently our PR team handling. So Gabriel Pinieres, shout out to him. Amazing man. Um, mm-hmm. An amazing team, mind you. Him and Liza are just phenomenal. But he does keep in contact with me very, very frequently about little things that I keep witness on when I'm on social media as a whole. Little changes had to have happened, especially with Casa Cueva. So you'll come to notice on our more recent posts that a lot of the things that we did put up, especially during that time frame, were videos, like what you were saying. And similar to starting from scratch, you had to kind of see how many outlets you can put that through to see an increase in relation towards the audience. But I feel like everything kind of fluctuated a little bit more well-balanced now. So the algorithm is kind of catching up again. Once once again, I think from the exposure perspective of having your stuff on social media and having individuals actually view it, it makes a difference. It really does. Um, you will have shops call us from a location where we don't have proper boots on the ground in relation to territory, uh, inquiring about the cigars because they've seen something of it on social media, or rather they've seen our homepage. They've maybe gone to a website. Uh, they caught us on Facebook, whatever the case may be. And those little things make a big difference because now here is a new client who's genuinely interested in our product and we're able to, at the very least, give them some samples and see if he genuinely enjoys it and if we're a good fit for their shop. Similar for consumers. 
with the educational standpoint of you're showing videos in relation to the factory, how the process actually is. Now they're becoming a lot more intrigued with the process and they have a lot more questions to be had. So they want to go into an event where the brand owner is going to be there because they want to ask the main man himself, is this really how the operation is done? I was very curious about your box press. How do you come across that? Um, in relation to the new guy currently, how did you come across the special little filler that you added inside? Uh, how many percentages, things of that nature. So social media is tremendous. It makes a huge difference throughout all gamuts as a whole, whether you're a consumer or a brand owner or hell, even a retail owner. So, yeah, and I think in general, you're talking about how you how you're doing more podcasts today, which I think is really smart because I, you know, I think I read an ad week last year that you know audio and video is like where everything is at in terms of advertising right now. Like, you know, you know, it, it has its place, but it's kind of slowly transitioning. Uh, well, quickly basis to like audio and visual. Yes. Yeah, like that companies need to really um, prepare themselves for you know, era of media. And, and that, you know, when you talk to people and stuff, I don't, I won't say it because they'll respond to me right now because it's like, <laughs> uh, even if they think I'm not, it's like even that the slight hint of his name is like, what? I can't hear you. So it's strange, but, um, you know these these assistants like they're saying like they're, they're they'll come a day like when you might talk to your virtual little assistant and stuff like that and you will want your your company to somehow be able to to come up in there so like they're saying like create you know different kind of audio uh not podcasts but just like audio tutorials and something like like a cigar tip a day or something like that like anybody who can do that like you said like here's your cigar tip of the day, you know, take the cellophane off. It, it seems silly, but it's it's like stuff like that. Who's somebody who's like just getting into the into the habit, you know, and, and into this lifestyle. Like if they have like a tip a day that just like educate them every day, and it's just like two or three seconds. They're like blah blah blah, and like you know, this is brought to you by Casa Cuevas. It's like that's like the future. So uh, I'm always like interested just in how people are using social media and different types of media uh, because it's it's definitely a lot harder, I think, to kind of break above everyone and, and get that yeah. attention like you used to. And, you know, there's certain media platforms that, and, you know, in, in this media in general, like print and, and stuff that, you know, isn't performing as highly as it used to. But, you know, and then there's others that, that are kind of rising. So just kind of interesting stuff. Really is. All across the board, I, I know that, for example, the video king currently is TikTok. Um, something that we've definitely thought of, on top of which I, I've heard the most honest criticisms come from TikTok as a whole on top of that to boot. Something where on Instagram, they tend to be a lot more, I guess, laid back for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. But it's really cool to see the differences between social media. So when it comes to Facebook, if we were to go on ahead and place um, an event promotion holder, let's say on Facebook, will have a lot more reception in comparison to putting it on Instagram, interestingly enough. Mm -hmm. So little things like that go a long way. Whereas um, from the video outlet side of things, that tends to really skyrocket when it comes to Instagram, When it, uh, for our factory as a whole. A lot of people become a lot more interested. They start mes messaging us privately in relation towards certain questions that they might have. Um, and even then, like I said, it also does merit a little bit of business also to boot. So it's really, really intricate and complex, but 
considering I'm on social media, I'm more or less 24 seven, uh, similar to the average kid my age, seeing that difference and seeing the algorithm and how it comes about something that I feel like a lot of uh, consumers don't necessarily see off the top of their head, but coming from this standpoint, you definitely see the drastic difference it creates for your company. Yeah, definitely. Like I said, and just like you said, TikTok is a completely different world. And I know a lot of the cigar industry has not yet broken into TikTok because they think yeah. it's for younger people. But, you know, I always kind of throw out that statistic that came out a couple weeks ago that, you know, it's becoming like a search engine, basically. Like, yeah. so <laughs> at some point, I think people when, uh, when Instagram kind of fizzles and it's become like a plateau and you're not getting the results. I can see a lot more people jumping over to TikTok and trying to figure out like how to adjust their marketing because you can't just pick up the same content and it, it doesn't perform the same way. So exactly. exactly. Um, getting back to your product, like, you know, this cigar is so intricate. Like if you really look at it, uh, I know the camera won't focus and all that kind of stuff, but there's so much like detail, like in the cigar band and in the story, like what did you, what did you learn from this experience, like making this cigar? Wow. I, this was a very, very insightful project. So first and foremost, and I mentioned this at the show, you know, personally, the respect that I have for fellow manufacturers, holy cow, holy cow, Antoine, because there's one thing to go on ahead and have a, a demographic of trustworthy, let's say eight to 10 people. You genuinely trust your palate. You know, they're going to give you honest criticism. And that's great. Let's say it's a home run between all 10. Let's say nine out of 10 to make it realistic, right? And now you have to go on ahead and hit a demographic that consists of literally these states. I mean, it's it's a domestic that, and not even then, even internationally, let's say. I mean, you're now marketing to millions upon millions of individuals and really hoping they enjoy this product. So I've come to terms with understanding that not only is this a hell of an experience, it's nerve wracking and you genuinely want everybody to enjoy it. But even then, everything that came about the cigar was a story and a half. Um, it really pays homage to who we are as a company uh, in relation towards, like I said, this was initially a gag at first, something that a lot of people brought up having the factory, you must create your own cigar. And it almost became a joke in a way up until my father, I sat down with him and he said, no, let's do it. I think you should. I didn't really take it as seriously as I should have initially up until my grandfather came around the curb, flew back in from the Dominican Republic, and he handed me essentially a blank sheet of paper. Early morning, I asked him what it was for, and he says, this is the sheet you're going to be writing all your percentages and blends on. This is all you. You're handling this. And that's when it, reality really kicked in. So then it became a matter of finding the coloration for the bands. That's also another story. Um, earlier, while we were talking about this project, I was smoking a Habano core line. It's a reddish coloration when it comes to the bands. And as many of you know, at least the, as the stigma goes, Miami, especially during the summertime, it's always raining. It, this is, it's very much dry season, wet season here. Currently we're in wet season. It's hot as hell. There's always rain to be had. That same day we got stuck in the office space because it was pouring, raining cats and dogs. Finally get back home and I find the cigar. At this point, it's been moved from my front porch and thrown on the grass somewhere far away. <laughs> but as I park my car and I come across it, the coloration of the cigar is what really stood out to me. So beyond the cigar just getting darker as a whole, wrapper-wise anyway, the bands became this copperish color. And that was because of the rain, the precipitation, everything. And it just absorbed all this, all this humidity, so to speak. It changed it to a bronzish color, something that I loved. Um, really caught my eye. 
I took a photo of it and I kept it in, on my phone quite literally for about two months before we really decided on what the coloration should be. But sure enough, that was happenstance. When it came down to creating the color of the band, I was like, I think I have the perfect solution for this. I managed to come across this just by happenstance. And that's what we went with. It's very elegant. It's beautiful. Even so much from the box design. I wanted to pay homage to my grandfather with that um, because he really did give me that blank sheet of paper and says, this is now you. I, To me, it, it was very much a, a sentimental moment to having myself grow up in the factory, working with my grandfather alongside him, at the very least just packaging cigars to being the individual he soul and full-heartedly trusts to create a blend going forward under our name and under our heritage was tremendous to me. Um, something that I, I, I wish I could relive to this very day. I, it was tremendous. And that being said, that's why the artwork on the box is a photo of my grandfather and I when he was first really showing me the ins and outs of what it means to genuinely look through tobacco, see the difference between it, checking the rolling process, the drying process, all of it. That same day, we had a photographer there uh, in the Dominican Republic with us, and he took um, like millions upon millions of photos. But a good majority of them was my grandfather really giving me the ins and outs as to what I should expect going forward down the line, should I choose to stay in this business. This whole cigar really is a tribute to my family um, and to the passion that we put behind our product. So in terms of a learning experience, I learned a lot. I learned how much adoration I really have for my heritage, for one. Two, I learned just how incredible it is to come out with a product and have so many decent accolades. Um, something that I was terrified for, as you know. Uh, it's one thing to come out with a cigar and have it be a dud. And then say, don't worry, the, the second cigar coming out is going to be even better. Right. You kind of lose your credibility at that point. <laughs> just somewhat. So the fact that it caught very good reception, um, especially from the understanding that I'm one of the younger folk in this industry, I, I feel as if it makes a big, big name going forward. It, it kind of gives the younger individuals uh, a sense of hope in, in that center and that sense of direction because, well, truth be told, a lot of the individuals that are manufacturers, that are brand uh, blenders, master blenders, better said, are, or rather better said, have been doing this for a very long time. They really know what they're doing. So are you really gonna go on ahead and take the palate of a relatively young 23-year-old kid who has been in the family line now for, let's say, about five years or so, or are you going to trust uh, a man like AJ Fernandez, who has been doing this gamut for God knows how long, a very, very experienced master blender? More often than not, most of the individuals will go to AJ, considering what he does, especially with his products, are phenomenal. But the opportunity to be there in the forefront and show this industry, for the most part, that younger individuals also carry that sense of palate and that sense of passion and to catch just the greatest reception I think of, I could have ever possibly imagined. That's also something I learned different, just the adoration that everybody in this industry has as a whole for one another. So I, it was it was a tremendous learning experience for me all the way through, all the way through. At what moment did you know like, this blend and all the percentages that you came up with, like this was it? Like, was there a moment? There was definitely a moment. Um, and it came about after smoking about 60 to 70 different cigars. Um, it was about 14 blends in total. I decided on blend number 10. Uh, and initially off Sangre Nueva, which uh, means new blood, um, in case some of those of you who are wondering, what ended up coming about was four initial blends. I know I wanted Cameroon. I'm a sucker for Cameroon. Um, 
obsessed, uh, almost obsessed with it, borderline obsessed. I mean, I think it's phenomenal, especially African Cameroon. But for those of you who have been around and smoking for a long time and are familiar with this, Cameroon has rather was very, very hard to come by and relatively expensive. Um, most of the time, the bales that you were receiving for the Cameroon, the leaf was just too thin enough to actually create as a wrapper. It just wouldn't hold the rest of the cigar without wearing and tearing. Whereas now Ecuador is coming to the fray and decided to kind of catch that Cameroon seed and now create their own Ecuadorian Cameroon. That's now coming full on into production. It's a hell of a lot more cost effective. And that became the baseline for this project. I knew we settled on the right blend and something that I genuinely loved and thought we could publish out when I came across the experimental portions, which is towards the very, very last ends and hence the filler. So for those of you that aren't familiar, the reason that I say you should take a cold draw was because we added the tiniest sliver of Kentucky fire cured tobacco. That is something that within this industry is very 50-50. A lot of individuals love it. A lot of people really, really find it repulsive. It's very hard to find an in-between, and it's very, very hard, another thing I learned, mind you, to balance your cigar well enough to have it not taste like solely Kentucky fire cured. So that whole process and asking my grandfather to bring any sort of tobacco that he had currently in the factory and see what we can do with it. And he gave me the listing. I chose more or less. I said, you know what? Why not? Let's run the gamut. Um, tasting it was just tremendous. At that same moment, he also gave me the Double Perfecto, which is in one of the newer Vitolas that we carry in our lines. We've used it for a lot of other companies before, and we've always had the molds. We've just never used it for ourselves. Um, but it was the number 10 in Double Perfecto size, and holy crap, Antoine, a smile on my face. You can ask my father. I was running laps around the table. <laughs> I, knew, I, I just knew. I knew this was the blend that we had to go with. Still nervous to a T, but it blew my socks off. Just the way the cigar just worked nuance wise. Um, just the fact that the Kentucky fire cured, once you got to the shoulder of that double perfecto, accentuated the rest of the cigar and it kind of dwindled out, but still added the sense of smokiness. If you're a fan of that Kentucky fire cured, it definitely fit your bill. And if you weren't so much, it wouldn't be there for so long enough so that you can taste the rest of the cigar. I mean, it was just so full in flavor and so incredibly consistently balanced that I just knew we hit a home run. I was extremely excited about it. My dad, to this day, um, his favorite cigar of that line, as you know, was the Patrimonio. He swears by that cigar. He loves it. He really does. But ever since Sangre Nueva came into the fray, I gave one to my father once we came across the actual blending and the finalization of it, and he was blown back. He had to smoke three back-to-back, -back, and he was like, this is my go-to. So much so that we're currently having um, these little issues, so to speak, with the boxes in particular, which is why they haven't hit the shelves yet. But even then, my grandfather sends, if he can, at least two bundles worth, and we carry that within our main warehouse simply for us to smoke. Mostly for my father, better said, but simply for us to smoke. Um, it's been a treat and a half, and I'm, I, that's, that was literally the moment I knew that this was the cigar we had to go with. Uh, it just all works so well together, especially when you smoke so many different cigars at that point in time. You can only cleanse your palate so much before you really have to give it a break. And after quite literally eight months of trying to find the right balance, I knew that we came across it. So a very exciting moment for me. Um, you at the point of the show, I, I like to kind of wrap things up by asking people kind of the same questions. I'll start off with the question of why, like, why do you do what you do? What motivates you to do what you do? I do what I do first and foremost because of my family. 
um, growing up within a factory and everything else, uh, being surrounded by this culture, essentially almost all my life, I've, I've rather better said I've grown accustomed to having this adoration and this passion for what we do. I mean, it's a legacy first and foremost. It started off just as cultivators of tobacco and out here we are. Who would have thought that so far down the line we would have had our own brand? And that's something that I really wanted to carry forth. Beyond that, I'd also say just everybody else consumer-wise, working on the retail side of things, I met so many cool individuals that took all the time out of their day to sit down with me, have a couple cigars, and literally just clear up their schedule just to educate me a little bit more about things that I just did not know of at that very moment. That was a huge factor also within me sticking in this industry. On top of which, and lastly, um, but not least, I've said this a multitude of times before, this is one of the very, very, this is such a cool industry. Uh, it's very rare you get to sit down with people from all walks of life and enjoy something that really unites everybody together. Whether you're smoking the same thing or not, that's something that's very, very hard to find in other industries, considering I've worked a lot of other jobs, so to speak, before I jumped full foray with my father into cigars. So those are the three biggest factors for me as to why I do what I do. Now, usually I ask the question of, um, what's your advice to other entrepreneurs who have started a business? So I think I'm going to tweak it a little bit for you um, to ask what would be your advice to other younger people kind of coming into like a, a family business or just a business in general where it's a little bit more traditional, where they might feel intimidated a little bit about what's going on or that the fact that they're like, kind of like the new kid on the block. What would be your, your advice to that person? kind of just coming into a job and they're trying to find their footing. I'd say, although the intimidation will be there up until you really get your hands dirty with whatever it is you're doing, don't hesitate to follow whatever you choose to be your passion. Truth be told on my side of things, this is my gap year and I'm going to be studying law school next year and hopefully firming or better said clerking um, and working at a law firm to get better education in relation to something that I find extremely interesting. But that doesn't mean that I'm going away from my family business. Your family business, whatever it may be, whether you see that there's a struggle to be had or whether you don't completely understand the ins and outs of it, that's why you have your parental figures or better said, whoever is with you working as that sole proprietor when it comes to a family business. They will guide you all the way through, similar to how my parents did, similar to, uh, to how a lot of other families did within this industry as a whole. This applies not just to cigars, but to everything. Um, whatever you do, whether you work in the flower business or you have a, a restaurant, a family restaurant, let's say, don't hesitate at the very least to give it a go. And you never know. You might find the passion for it, the same passion that your parents found before you and so forth before that. Awesome. What can you kind of share with us? Like, what are you working on now? I'm sure you're, you're probably working on 2023 or even 2024 kind of stuff now as if you're developing products. You, People don't know that the cigar industry is like you're working usually two or three years. Yes. So what can you share about like what you're working on now? So we have two new things in the works. Um, well, better said three. I'm very excited about one of which was started and had to be postponed, which is the Mandaria Oscuro, something that we have everything ready for. The only thing is really settling on a blend, but we wanted to give a counterpart to the sledgehammer, something that we want to be a little more full bodied, a strength, a tad bit away from the spice and carries more of that full strength that a lot of individuals are looking for from our company. But something that I find even more exciting going down the line, hence 2023 and 2024, is the inclusion of the 1881, which we have trademarked as well, and the Imurit. 
Uh, Imuril is a river over in Cuba and is essentially where our roots originate from. We want it to be a relatively light cigar, but both of these cigars going forward down the line, I can't tell you too much about the 1881 just yet. Um, as of right now, it's a namesake and we're working towards a blend. That one relies heavily on my grandfather. Both of these cigars are in full homage to my grandpa. Um, he's been doing this for a very, very long time. And uh, even since so much is not even having the brand itself, he had Cuevas Habanos, he had Chavelinas, he had other cigar brands, so to speak, that he created back in the day that never caught legs. So that being said, these two cigars are in huge homage to him and his palate going forward down the line. 1881 is going to come out much later. So that's most likely going to be around the, the, the reigns of late 2023, if not 2030, uh, 2024, sorry, not 2030. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> no preview. My apologies. But, um, but yes, yeah, so seriously, do be on the lookout for Imuril. Be on the lookout for 1881. And also be on the lookout for that Mandario Oscuro. The Mandario Oscuro is going to be our closest thing in relation to launch, um, considering everything has already fallen into place. The only thing needed is a little bit tweaking here and there. But really be on the lookout. We're extremely excited. As of right now, my grandfather's in town. I've been toying with him more or less to see where he stands in relation towards what he'd like it to be. And uh, I want to see if I can create something amazing for him, something that would really blow his socks off. So those are our future uh, projects that we have coming up. Oh, great. Um, can you tell people what website and what social media they need to follow in order to keep in touch with uh, everything Casa Cuevas related? Please follow us on Casa Cuevas Cigars on Instagram. That also applies for Facebook as well. Or you can visit our website, casacuevascigars.com, to see if you can find our cigars in a location near you. And truth be told, we are relatively friendly. So if you do reach out on any of these platforms, we're more than inclined to answer back and answer any questions you guys might have from us. Well, a great. I was telling you that I know that there's a lot of people are probably saying like we didn't learn this about Alec and we didn't hear this question, but I would love to have you back on at some point and maybe have you, you and your father on now that we've had you both individually. I think that'll be a fun uh, combination just to have you all both on, uh, just to talk about the family business and and just have a discussion about cigars and and family and life in general. So. Uh, I'll reach out to you about getting that going at, um, at some point in the near future. Please do. I'm really looking forward to it, Antoine. Yeah. Like I said, thank you for coming on today. And I want to thank everyone for watching. Uh, if you are watching on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter, just make sure you hit that like or subscribe button. And if you're listening to this, any of the podcasting platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, any of that stuff, uh, hit the subscribe button and leave a review if you don't mind because reviews help me to improve what I'm doing here. I always say there's room for improvement. Or if you like something that we do, just that's always fun to, to find out as well. Um, if you miss any of this episode or any of the, uh, I think, 105 episodes that are that came before it, you can catch them all on deepcutslive.com. And we're also on YouTube. So uh, definitely uh, catch up and see what you missed out on. So um, we have new shows, I think, for September uh, we have a whole, like at least one show a week and there's always something that might pop up in between that. So, uh, just follow us on Instagram to kind of look for, uh, and show announcements. So thank you, Alec, again, and thank you everyone for watching and until next time. Thank you. Thank you so much. Take it easy, everyone. <laughs>